0: the holy city Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God, its radiance like a most rare jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. It had a great high wall with 12 gates, and at the gates 12 angels, and on the gates the names of the 12 tribes of the sons of Israel were inscribed. On the east three gates, on the north three gates, Its length, and width, and height are equal. He also measured its wall, 144 cubits by human measurement, which is also an angel's measurement. The wall was built of jasper, while the city was pure gold, like clear glass. The foundations of the wall of the city were adorned with every kind of jewel. The first was jasper, the second, sapphire, the third, agate, the fourth emerald, the fifth onyx, the sixth carnelian, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth chrysoprase, the eleventh jacinth, the twelfth amethyst. And the 12 gates were 12 pearls, each of the gates made of a single pearl. And the street of the city was pure gold like transparent glass, and I saw no temple in the city for its temple is the Lord God the Almighty and the Lamb. The city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives its light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory unto unto it, and its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. They will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations, But nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, you are the great Almighty God. You are the creator. You created this beautiful earth that we live on, with its mountains and its valleys and its meadows and its oceans, its creatures, its flowers. You've created our universe, our solar system. You are great and powerful. And yet we have a hope for a new earth and new heaven. But the greatest thing of all is that we will dwell with you. We will walk with you. We will be able to talk and see you. We will be able to touch you. We will be able to be hugged and held by you. We will be able to praise your name as we see you, as we stand in front of you, as we kneel in front of you. Uh, That is an amazing picture of what grace really is, that a sinner like me can stand and talk and laugh with you. And that is my hope. The hurt and the pain that we have in this world is temporary. And one day for all of eternity, we will be pain-free, tears no more, and we will walk with you. That is grace. And we get that grace because of Jesus and what he did for us. Thank you, Lord. Father, be with our pastor now as he comes and teaches us, as he preaches from your word. Give him peace and confidence in Christ. May your spirit uh, be with us as we open our hearts and minds and teach us, Lord. I pray that we apply it to our lives today and weeks going forward. In Jesus' name, amen.
1: It's away this week, getting a break from the heavy load. That the, this It's a joyous load, but it has been a heavy load getting through this amazing book. And so that is why we find ourselves here in the second last chapter of the Bible. These last few months we have been systematically going through the entire text. Do you think about heaven? I don't think, I don't believe that we think like a Christian unless we think about heaven. The vision that John describes is a vision vision of security and purity. Do you know how often our mind needs boundaries on those very things? Issues of fear and insecurity. Issues of shame and impurity. I'm convinced that the purpose of this book and the purpose of this particular vision is to announce for us certain future realities that have a lot to do with security and purity. Not to satisfy some speculative curiosity about what the future might look like, but in order that the future would so invade the present so as to make our hearts adore the lamb and abhor the beast, which is Babylon that we would so have thoughts about what God has in store for those who love him, that it would put a distance between us who are the betrothed bride of Christ, a distance between us and the harlot. It's a profound vision. Here's what I think it means. If you don't get anything else this morning i hope that you can take this home with you that first of all that the the new jerusalem that john sees coming down out of heaven is a bride he says i will i will show you the bride look i will show you the bride and i'm taking up on a high mountain and there's a surprise there's a, a a great surprise in the text and the surprise is there there is a difference between what john is told by the angel that he is going to see and what he has taken up onto a high mountain and actually witnesses. What he has heard that he is going to see is a bride, is, is the wife of the Lamb. <laughs> Imagine the anticipation of, of seeing the, the beauty and the spectacle that is the bride and, he, and he's taken on a high mountain and what he actually sees is not what he heard. It, what he sees is a city. And... The reason for that is that everything that God has announced through the material idea of a city, all through the scriptures, all through the Old Testament, all all of its rampart, its walls, its gates, its security, everything that has to do with a city is proclaimed to be true about a woman. It's a, it's a mixed metaphor. It, it's, it's prophetic language. It's a, it's a way that prophecy uses to layer meaning. We saw it also earlier in the book where John is weeping in chapter five, because there's no one to open the seals, and it, he heard it was announced to him in his ears that you're turning, you're going to see that the lion of the tribe of of, Luda, of of Judah has triumphed. John was weeping because all was lost. If there's nobody to open the seals, then all is lost. It, it's utter and complete despair. And John turns, and, and the mixed metaphor there was what, what he heard was a, a lion, that he would see a lion, but what he actually saw was a lamb. And it's a, it's a way of layering meaning. In other words, all of the authority, the majesty, and the power, and the might of the, of the lion is to be understood, to be brought to us by a lamb understand it's a it's a it's a prophetic way of speaking to the church and also here in the same way the mixed metaphor is that john is told that he will see a woman a bride the wife of the lamb and he's taken to a mountain and what does he actually see he sees a city in order to layer the meaning that all that god has in store for this woman All that God has promised to this bride, all that God will bestow on the church as the wife of the Lamb is understood in the material promises that God has already announced through the centuries to Jerusalem, to the city. You can't draw these sorts of things. So the idea isn't that you leave today and you could go home, pick up a pencil and a piece of paper, and you could draw what the eternal city looks like in the new heaven and the new earth. You can't draw, if you were to try just like you can't draw a lion who's also a lamb. <laughs> it just turns out to something really, really grotesque, really, really bad. Nor, nor can you draw a bride who is a city. There's no bride here that would be flattered by being drawn as a city <laughs> or described as a city. It's prophetic language. I'm still on the main point. <laughs> this is, I want you to get that. Are you, are, you, are you getting it? And I'm going to remind you over and over through, through the text that, that the city is a bride, and but this city is, is unassailable, And has an unmediated glory, which is God himself. Do you know know what unassailable means? It means absolutely safe. It means absolutely secure. It means that it is not harassed in, in any way. A city that is absolutely secure. Remember, the city is a woman. A woman that is absolutely safe absolutely secure living in the unmediated glory do you know what mediation is it's what the temple is all about of centuries of mediation of all that was impure all that was defiling that kept god's creation from being able to witness the splendor of his holy of holies this is a place of unmediated glory where glory will be known without the need for mediation. Remember that the city is the woman. She will be a place. She will experience the unmediated glory of God. See, it is a picture of God inhabiting a city. God comes down and inhabits a city. The city is used as a metaphor to describe God's inhabitation of his people, the bride. In other words, the city is not a place where we will live. It is a people that God will live in. It's amazing. (laughs) Did you hear that? It's not a city that we will live in, it is a people that God will live in. The city is a woman. You know, I, 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 I grew up, oh, boy, I need to be careful here. I did grow up, but I grew up in the church, and I didn't know what to do with talk like this, really. I, I heard, you know, we're going to live in mansions of glory, and, man, the streets are going to be paved with gold, and, and I, I had a, enough of an understanding of my culture as a young person that I, I think that what it meant was, you all think you're going to be rich. <laughs> which is kind of the values of Western culture. Oh, man, we're really going to have it laid on us. I think what it actually means is that we are the riches. Do you see the difference? Here's the story of the cannibal, or the man who went to have dinner with cannibals, expecting to have a meal and found out he was the meal. Hmm. <laughs> You come to this text expecting that you're going to get riches to discover you are the riches. It's amazing. It's not a city that we're going to, It's not a city you can doodle and draw. This is what it's going to look like. It, or that, that we're going to live in. It, it's, a, it's a prophetic declaration to the church of Jesus Christ that we are the people of the final destination of God's glory. I'm going to use three words to try to expound this vision, a powerful vision. It's, it's the three words are contrast, fulfillment, and proclamation. Contrast, fulfillment, and proclamation. First of all, this vision is a powerful use of contrast. John is intentionally contrasting the future reality of the bride, of the woman, with the present condition of the church, that he is writing this vision to the seven churches in Ephesus. Remember the churches, the struggling churches that John is writing to. Have you seen this vision on the Lord's day? And is writing to them for their encouragement, for their perseverance, for their pilgrimage. It's what these visions are are all about, in order to strengthen the church. And there's a there's a strong contrast here in chapters two and three, where the the words are written to the churches. There they are described as living where Satan dwells. Here the woman lives, here the woman is where God dwells. In other words, it says that I will make you a pillar in the temple of God that could be translated, I will make you a pillar in the temple that is God. We, We will be the temple that God inhabits. There they are described as Living where Satan has his throne, in fact. And here is where God has his throne. Isn't that the big difference between God and Satan? God has a throne. Satan does not. There they are harassed on every side. They're thrown in prison. They're, they're persecuted. And here there is absolute security. There they are full of impurity. They're full of blemishes. They're full of sexual immorality. Here they are appear as clear gold. There isn't a a greater way to try to imagine purity. The city is made of gold so refined that it's pure. There they are facing falsehood, liars, deceivers, false doctrine. Here they no longer face any deception, no falsehood, no liars. There they're described as poor. Here they are described as the riches of God. See, well, there's no such thing as a perfect church. (laughs) Well, yes, there is. And that is exactly what we will be, as Derek prayed, by the grace and mercy of God. The contrast is unmistakable, but there's, even more deliberately, there's a contrast that is intended between not only the church as it is described in 21, earlier in the book, but there's, A very obvious contrast between this city that is a bride and the previous city that was a prostitute. Remember, the whole vision is using contrast. Contrast is one way of learning. We can learn something that is true about something in a very particular way through the use of contrast, and contrast is used very, very powerfully in these visions. I've already mentioned the, the, the contrast between God's throne and the pretend throne of Satan that actually has no authority and power in the end. But there's, it is a, a contrast between two women, a contrast between two cities, a contrast between two, two trinities, one of which each of those is false, is pretending, is, is full of deceit, A woman in a in a a city in a trinity that is full of deceit and one that is real one that is composed of deceit and one that is a cosmic certainty this explains the angel talk in verse 9 where it says that an angel comes to John and says I'm going to take you and I'm going to show you a woman that corresponds exactly word for word from chapter 17 verse 1 where the same angel Corresponding to chapter 17, the same angel came to John and said, Come, I'm going to show you a woman. And the contrast is inevitable. What John saw there was a harlot, a whore, a prostitute. What John sees now is a bride, the wife of the Lamb. That prostitute was also bejeweled as a signal of her offering of of er, earthly wealth and all of the allurements and the the, the pretend offerings of, of, of enrichment. Whereas this bride is also bejeweled, but not with a pretend offering of wealth, but signifying not an earthly wealth, but an eternal and lasting beauty that God has adorned her with. And just as that harlot, that bride was seen as a city, so also this woman is seen as a city the one woman is the city of babylon the other is the city of the new jerusalem the main difference is that babylon desired to attain to god that was the the glory of that particular city was not to not to submit to and grasp and rejoice in the glory of God but to have its own glory a glory that was in competition with God, a glory that ascended to God and this is a glory that comes down not a glory that goes up but a glory that comes down this is a city the bride that is secure and pure Babylon is a place that cannot keep its inhabitants secure fallen fallen is babylon the great and it is destroyed in a single day this bride this city has the lamb as its lamp that city has eternal darkness it drives home the central idea of the uniqueness of the christian faith that there's been a lie in this world ever since the the serpent deceived adam and eve that our our security, that our, our beauty and our, our hope was always to, to ascend and ascend to a place of God replacement, which is what the whore, the prostitute, Babylon, is all about. Rather, our hope is that God descends to his bride, as to his bride, yes, in all of his grace and mercy and glory. The contrast is unmistakable between the bride and the prostitute and their future hopes. The second word is the word fulfillment. The prophecy, the the vision, is very clearly an announcement of prophetic fulfillment. John is brought into a high mountain, which is a reference to the visions of Ezekiel. In Ezekiel chapter 40, Ezekiel says that he's brought to a high mountain in the spirit and, and to look down upon the city of God. And John, in the same way, is taken to a city to to look down and it, it's a it's a sign that what Ezekiel saw is now being fulfilled in the vision of John and what Ezekiel saw was a reclaiming of the city that was so defiled and so broken down on its walls and so abused and so harassed and and full of impurity And God was going to reclaim that city, that temple for himself, and to restore it, to purify it, and to fill it. It's prophetic fulfillment. Remember, the city is a woman. So don't think about prophetic fulfillment purely in in terms of of, of a place or a, a location or a city. Remember, the city is a woman and it's a remarkable thing that John is announcing that all that all of the things that God has spoken to about his city about his people in that particular city are fulfilled in a woman the bride of Christ Jerusalem was a place where God spoke to He spoke to Jerusalem about his rule He spoke to Jerusalem about his authority he spoke to Jerusalem about his power and his majesty and, and, his, and his ability to keep his people safe and secure. And what John sees is its fulfillment in a woman. Now it's easy to see why the material language of a city was used in the imagery of, of the scriptures or, and was literally experienced, of course, as a literal city, the city of Jerusalem and why God spoke to the people with regards to a literal city. The people lived in cities. They needed security. They needed walls for safety. It's interesting reading through, uh, reading through the prophets. On the one hand, the prophet Isaiah describes how God tears down the walls. He tears down the fortified, fortified cities of, of his enemies. And then this is what he says about Jerusalem, that we have a strong city where he sets up salvation as walls and bulwarks and open the gates that the righteous that keep faith may enter in, enter into a safe city. And he says he keeps you in perfect peace. No city, of course, had perfect peace, not even the city of Jerusalem through the the history of, of of the literal city. The enemies were always breaking the walls down. But this woman, who is comprised of the 12 and 12, the 12 tribes of Israel, and the 12 uh, apostles of the Lamb, describing the entire scope of God's people. This woman has perfect safety because the glory of God is there and an angel at, at every gate. It's a remarkable thing to think about. All the glory that the prophets ever foretold of Jerusalem as God's throne is fulfilled in the woman so when john describes a city here in revelation he's not describing architecture remember he's describing a people and remember that all of the ways that God spoke through the structures and the buildings and the places in which, in which God people lived, they were never intended to be the ultimate and final resting place of what God intended and purposed. They were copies. They were intended to project, intended to create faith, to intended to show them a glimpse and an idea of what the future looked like. They were just copies. The book of Hebrews makes that clear, particularly about the temple, that they were just copies, all the things that the priest used and handled. They were just copies of, of eternal things that was a true reality. And what, what John sees is an incredible thing. He sees not the the rebuilding of the old copies, but he sees the real from heaven coming down. It's remarkable. Haggai chapter 2, verse 6 says this. It says, thus says the Lord of hosts, once more in a little while, that's used a lot in Revelation too, isn't it? In a little while, I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land, and I will shake all nations so that the treasures of all nations shall come in. Notice the word treasures there. It's why the, this, this, this city is bejeweled. All of its foundations are covered with, with precious stone." It's a, it's a sign that this is where all of God's treasure is. The treasures of all the nations shall come in. And I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. The silver, it's mine. The gold, it's mine, declares the Lord of hosts. And the latter glory of this house shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place, I will give peace. I will give peace declares the Lord of hosts. And the city is measured. Measuring the city is also fulfillment. It's a fulfillment of God's promise through Ezekiel to take ownership of it again. That's why it's a prophetic way of describing ownership. God says I'm gonna I'm gonna come, Zechariah chapter two says the same thing as young man go and measure that city. Why? Because it belongs to me. And measuring it with a golden rod now, not a reed, a golden rod Describing a a heavenly reality, I'm going to take ownership of it, and I'm going to purge it from all of its defilement. I'm going to make it safe from all of its harassment that it has endured. The angel measurement. It says the human measurement is also an angel measurement, pointing again to this idea that it is, it is a city that intersects with God. It is a woman that God has come down into. And notice its shape. Its shape is cubed shape. Verse sixteen, that its height and its width and its its breadth is all the same. Of course, it's not a literal dimension. It's fifteen hundred miles cubed. Imagine a city 1,500 miles wide, that'd be one thing. Wow, that is a really big city. Imagine if it was also 1,500 miles deep. That would be a really, really large city. But this is a city that is described as cube-shaped, 1,500 miles high. It would have to have skyscrapers 1,500 miles high. It would actually have satellites bumping into it in 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 our present material world if it was built that high. And it says that it only has 200-foot walls. It's a prophetic fulfillment. There is only one cube-shaped room described in all of the scriptures, and it is the Holy of Holies. It is the place where once a year, one person was allowed to go in through much mediation in order to witness with 12 stones on his breast, representing, bearing into that Holy of Holies, the 12 tribes of Israel, to witness the, the glory and the splendor of God's holiness. That will be no more. That is why there, it says that there is no temple in the city. You see, the temple is no longer a room that people go into, but it is a people that God goes into. And we will experience the unmediated holiness of God. As I said, the 12 precious stones also, prophetic fulfillment from the priestly garment that Aaron wore with 12 stones on it. And precious metals are used through all of the scriptures to to describe something that's really beyond our ability to comprehend, and this is what it is, that we will reflect the glory of God. Like stones reflect luminous light or beautiful light or make it luminous, we will be a luminous thing with the very glory of God. The announcement that there will be no more sun or no more night isn't a statement of astronomy. It isn't. A, and I thought, man, really, like we're going to fall off the Earth if it's no longer rotating around the sun? Is it like like how? How big is the change? And I think the answer to that question is that the change is, is universal and complete and incomprehensible. But I don't think that this is a statement about astronomy when it says that there will no longer be any sun. Rather, it's quoting Isaiah chapter 60. It's prophetic fulfillment. And what it is declaring about prophecy is that there will come a day when the glory of God will be, be in the middle of his people without break, without break, it'll be unceasing there's nothing that is associated with the curse about nighttime where nighttime needs to literally physically be removed in order to rid the earth of of its curse i hope that there's nothing in the curse about sleeping at night because then i'd be sinning an awful awful lot i love to sleep it is it shows that there will be no interruption of god's glory like the physical day is interrupted by the night no interruption of it you know you have days where you think boy i i wish this day would go on forever you know it's november it's 15 degrees the sun is out i've got the day off it's like i wish this day would would never end and then you have other days where you feel like can this day please end now (laughs) And you look forward to the night. I look forward to the night on some days when the day I know is going to come to an end and I can go to sleep and there's a break in what I'm experiencing in order that I could start anew the next day. No more sun and and no more night is a signal. There's a sign, a prophetic uh, fulfillment that there will be no interruption to the glory of God. Why is that? Because there is nothing to interrupt it. There's no sin. There's no impurity. There, there's there's nothing that can harass it. Just as the gates will always be opened. Why were gates closed at night? Or when were gates closed? They were closed at night. Why were gates closed at night? Because of the danger. Because of the insecurity. The gates will always be open. And there will be no night. Meaning that all that has oppressed God's people. All that has obscured people from in the immediate presence of God is in the lake of fire. The third word is proclamation. And here's what I mean by that. I believe that the vision is, first of all and foremost, a proclamation of Jesus. A, a, a proclamation of the Lamb. Of the greatness of the Lamb. All that, think about this, all, there is no greater way to declare the supremacy of the Lamb to, to bring in all of the prophecies, all the, thing that God, all the things that God has purposed and all the means and ways and institutions and buildings and places that God has used to demonstrate and show and give his people a glimpse of what he intends for his people. All of it brought to the feet of the Lamb all of it accomplished by the lamb, not the beast. The beast cannot keep his people secure. The beast has no throne. The beast has no eternal glory. Only the lamb. It's a proclamation that the lamb is very great, that only he can keep his people secure and pure. And the lamb is the lamp of the city. What Greater way to proclaim the significance and the centrality of the Lamb in God's purpose than to say that he he is the lamp of the city. Remember, the city is a people. He will dwell in us as a lamp for all of eternity. It means that the Lamb will show us the light of God in all of its beauty. Let the Lamb be your light even today. But it not only proclaims something about the Lamb, it proclaims something to us of our future. When we will experience the the glory of god that is neither diminished or obscured because of impurity and defilement you wonder what it'll be like to see god's glory you know i've said you can't draw this i said that it's not simply a description of the future it's a, it's a proclaiming a future reality to invade a present need for discipleship but there is a way that we should muse there is a way that we should be full of curiosity. But I think this is the question that we should be asking. What, what will it look like to experience unmediated glory? You know, like, so that, that it's just not just words to us. Yeah, you know, that's how Christians talk. We're going we're to, you know, they use big words and it's going to be unmediated glory. But, but think about it. Muse on it. Pray about it. What will it look like to experience? What, what is the substance? What is, what is the character with which God's glory will be witnessed by us? Certainly it's a part of God's glory that, that he will keep his people safe. That he will bring all of the, the nations into it and it will be full of, of praise to him. It's a part of his glory that he He will make his people pure, precious for, for eternity. That. That's, that's what a great king does. But the, the lamb is the lamb. Think about this for a minute. That all that it harasses us, all that leads us into impurity, I think could be summarized with, with one word which will be entirely absence in the bride. And it is the word lies. There have been lies from the beginning since the, since the garden. There will, be, there will be no falsehood. Never again will we be in doubt about the knowledge of God. Never again will the, the reality of, of all of God's beauty and his attributes be, be hidden from our sight. Particularly, think about this, that, that the love of God. No more lies about the love of God. We struggle with that our, our entire life to, to not be... Not be Affected by the falsehood, the deceit, and the lies about the nature of God's love for his people. Imagine such security. The lamb is our lamb. It will be exactly the opposite of Adam and Eve after they sinned. They were full of fear, so they hid themselves. They were covered with shame, so they covered themselves. We will have no fear, we will be secure. We will have no shame, we will be pure. In conclusion, the point of the vision I think is this, as I've said, I think already, is not merely that we satisfy our curiosity about the future, but to help us to abhor Babylon. Instead of being jealous of it, instead of desiring to be close to it, instead of wondering how long we can live in it before we have to get out, But to see the deception, even while we still live in the onslaught of lies, while we still live in the onslaught of deception, we are pilgriming to a city, while we still feel the pressure and the allurement of all of those lies. Let me ask you this. I think in this vision, What John declares to the church is the the relief of all of the groanings of God's people for millennia. The lifting of their burdens. The fulfillment of the things that Christians by the Holy Spirit have longed for in the depths of their hearts. The things that they have prayed for. Do you use the Psalms to pray? I hope you do. It gives you a vocabulary of a way of, of speaking to God. And if you, if you read through the Psalms, you'll, you'll see the longings. Laurie read it earlier in, in the Psalms of my, uh, the Psalmist longing for the courts of the Lord. Oh God, be my stronghold, be my secure place. So let me ask you this, in this, could you recognize this vision as a fulfillment or an answer to the way that that you pray today? I ask myself that. Do I only pray about the things that I want for here and now? Or is there something in this vision that could be seen as a fulfillment, recognized as a fulfillment to the way that I pray? Psalm 85, 8 says this, Let me hear what God the Lord will speak, for he will speak peace to his people, to his saints. But let them not turn back to folly, lest surely his salvation is near to those who fear him, that glory may dwell in this place. Would you pray with me? Lord, give us a taste of glory, I pray. Give us a longing for it. our hearts and souls with with desire and, and also wisdom, Lord, and how to take the visions of John and to grasp their implications for the way that we live. And thank you for these this exhortation by attraction to win our hearts and to make us heartsick for the courts of the Lord. I pray it in Jesus' name.